TFS episode number 161. This is Greg Duncan. This is Josh Garver. And Mickey Gousset. Gentlemen. Greg. <laughs> I made two weeks in a row, Greg. Uh, two weeks in a row. That Microsoft is just, you're, you're a changed man, Mickey. <laughs> I don't think I've made two week, two podcasts in a row for years. Let me see. Uh, Mickey. No. It's in, in it's, 2016, June 9th and June 23rd, you were there two times in a row. Not that I have to. records of you know going back to episode 91 or anything, but not that you shame me or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say, Mickey, you, you seem to have become highly available now that you've you've joined the mothership. Well, it's that whole not necessarily having to 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 be 40 hours billable. <laughs> that, <laughs> That, mm-hmm. that, that changes right. things. Of course, I'm working 60 plus hours. <laughs> yeah, that, you're right. <laughs> so, how it has it's been a couple weeks now, Mickey, since you joined Microsoft? How, how are you still thinking? I'm loving it. So, I'm in my fourth week, and so far, I have uh, gone to Seattle a couple times for for customer meetings, and I'm just still trying to get everything. Um, Literally, that whole phrase, drinking from the fire hose, is so true because there's so much stuff you can sign up for to be involved with, and it's just, I mean, overwhelming at some points. But one of my most exciting things that, I'm, that I've started to get involved with at Microsoft is their Microsoft Gives campaign, which is where employees can give to nonprofits, and then Microsoft will match what they give. And it's just that's just such a great, great thing that Microsoft does for employees, and it's just also a great way for myself to get involved more in giving back to the community. Do you mind if I ask uh, what charity are you giving to? So I'm actually giving to, um, I attended the Mississippi School for Math and Science, which was a specialized high school for junior for your junior and senior year in high school. I was the first class to graduate from that school back in 1990. That's how old I am, figure out the math. <laughs> However, um, and it's a it's a high school. It's a public high school, so it's funded by the state and all. But um, the state about ten years ago passed a law which required all students to pay five hundred dollars a semester room and board because the high school is located on a on a college campus, and that actually started precluding some people from being able to attend. So um, that we started the MSMS Foundation which was a, a nonprofit foundation to be able to initially help out with that room and board, but then also to be able to provide grants to teachers and, and help out students in need and all of that. And the MSMS Foundation has actually grown to a decent size now, and it's one of the charities that is available as far as the Microsoft Gives campaign. So I'm, gonna, I'm giving every month to the MSMS Foundation now, and Microsoft is also matching that. Awesome. Uh, do you have uh, – make sure you send, give me a link for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Put that in the show notes. Uh, Josh, what have you been up to? Well, I am currently in your time zone. Oh, yeah? In sunny San Diego, California, um, on site with one of our lines of business, helping with uh, VSTS and Azure stuffs, and generally enjoying the um, steady weather, which is real nice. Welcome to the West Coast. Welcome to the right coast, my friend. Mm, I thought this was the left coast. There's a lot of loony lines. That's true. All right, fine. Uh, I was speaking directionally. I wasn't speaking politically. But... Yeah, it's the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've got a guest on. Uh, and uh, for the listeners, we talked about this last show. Uh, we are – we have the – Magical, mystical, lost episode. Well, we couldn't let that guest go on without finally getting him on. And now that he's got practice and we've talked about all these things already once before, this is going to be a great show. And who is this guest? Sean Ferguson. Sean is a principal engineer at Microsoft, originally working on Exchange for seven years and now VSTS for the past five years. His team is primarily focused on the query experience for work items, plus many aspects. How can I screw that up? Aspect of the work item form. It is a new mouth. I am trying to break it in. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here <laughs> again. Having you on again, huh? <laughs> I know it'll be a, a ghost for me. <laughs> so, Sean, I didn't ask you this last show, last time we recorded. So we've got kind of a new answer or a new question for you um in one of your bios it mentioned you're from la i am from la what part uh the valley oh good yeah i i live in simi simi valley 
Oh, yeah, no, different valley, but yes. <laughs> right there. How long did you live out here? Oh, geez. So it's been, I've been in Redmond for 13 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm now going to age myself, not as much as Mickey <laughs> has, but um, I've been, so it's been 27 years in LA. Cool. So you, when you got the job at Microsoft, you moved up there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My wife was like, I want to move somewhere greener. And I'm like, well, the only way I can do that is if I find a job somewhere greener. So she's like, oh, Microsoft's up there. I'm like, okay, I'll go apply. I need to have my wife talk to your wife because, you know, I keep saying, we're gonna, let's move to Seattle, honey. I mean, Redmond, it's beautiful up there. It's green. She's like, oh, hell no. It rains, like, all it, the time. Yes, it does rain. And tell all your friends, never move to Seattle. <laughs> um, so... Let's talk about the, the, the primary thing that we wanted to get you on, the VSTS Work Item Migrator. What is that? So it's a tool primarily designed for moving, or not moving, copying work items from one account to another. Um, and it is the main reason for copying is an archival purpose because it doesn't include history. Um, but if you just need to move work items from one project to another and you don't necessarily care about history, it's perfect for that. Um, and so the internally, it is used by uh, many organizations, the biggest one being Windows, because uh, as you can imagine, they have millions of work items being created, um, and they don't need to keep track of millions of work items all the time. Um, so every release cycle, they basically go ahead and use the work item migrator, move them to a new account, and then delete them on their you know, primary account. Um, so at least there's a history of the work items in terms of like they existed. Um, and so if someone needs to look up what like the latest version of it looked like, they have the data. Okay. So basically a lot. So it's not moving all of the history and all, but it's just a way of, so it's for, you're, so you built this mostly then just for archival purposes. Yes. It was primarily for archival. Um, for history, there is a, a bone at least in that it will get the, it will use the REST endpoint that has, um, that will return all of the revisions to the work item and attach it as a JSON file. Um, so if you were really into it, you could have the history. But in terms of like user consumable, it isn't really designed for that. Got you. Now, as someone who actually back in the day actually tried to write, build some of this kind of stuff, how long did it take you to, to get this up and going? So we had a team at, of three, uh, including myself, and it took us in total about three months. But as with everything in software uh, development, um, the bulk of the work was done relatively quickly. But, you know, finding all the edge cases and handling, you know, everything, that probably took another month, month and a half. Uh, gotcha. So did you find it ultimately relatively easy to build or was it, or did you find some gotchas? So ultimately it was relatively easy to build because that was the other goal of the project. Because as you, all I'm sure are aware the client OM has been deprecated. Um, and so we want to make sure that our REST APIs are consumable for our areas and can be a replacement. Um, so this tool, creating this tool was another way to showcase that, yes, you can use our REST APIs to get similar functionality. Um, and so as part of building this tool, there were a couple of functionality improvements that we were able to make to add you know, more parity with the client OM. So I have a question. Um, I noticed that, you know, with the, with the APIs, obviously, you run into rate limiting and things like that. Um, how well does this play within that? And have you ever run into situations where uh, lighting up uh, a migration has really dampened things from a rate limiting perspective? Yeah, no, absolutely. The, the tool itself um, handles it in the sense of it'll try for a while. And if it if it gets rate limited, like the hard rate limiting, it'll just basically say, sorry, you have to try again later. Um, but it's also parallel. So you can, if you know you're going to get rate limited, you could set your number of threads to a lower number. Um, and in general, that shouldn't let you be rate limited. Uh, but for like the internal cases, uh, we can turn off rate limiting um, and give giant databases for like the period of time migration happens. And so they can move a million work items easy in, in a day. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Is there, are there other things that you can configure within the application itself? Yeah, so you, it has some flexibility uh, in terms of, like, configuration. You can do, like, field mappings. Um, you can do basic area and iteration mappings. Um, I'm right now working on adding type mapping because I know that's a common request because if you're moving from, like, Agile to 
maybe a slightly not agile process um, and you want your types to match or you know like say you have bug in one but you know issue in another um, I'm working to add that um, so that it's one less blocker for people to use so, I, so I, uh, go ahead Mickey no no I insist Craig <laughs> as, as main host of the podcast I insist that you go first um, I'm looking through the code now for it and this is a, like an off-the-wall weird question, but I see you're using the Microsoft Extensions command line utilities. I don't know how often I've seen that used. I, I think it's pretty awesome. What does that library do, or am I totally sandbagging you here? So you're partially sandbagging me, but it's okay. <laughs> um, I'll fake it. Um, I remember, well, We chose it because it already did a lot of the command line parsing for us, and it worked with .NET Core. Because one of the requirements we wanted was to make the tool be multi or cross-platform, um, and that meant having to use .NET Core. I, I guess we could have done it in Node, but we decided to do it in .NET Core. Um, mm. And so that was the main reason why we chose that, versus reinventing the wheel. Because, yes, it's not complex doing command line parsing, but if someone already did it for us, yeah. might as well take advantage of it. And God, how many times have we all written some sort of cheesy command line processing thing? Mm. Too many times. Yeah. <laughs> so are you still doing active development on this? And if so, what are some of the future enhancements that you're wanting to put onto this? And as a caveat to that, um, are you accepting, allowing the community to help you with, with this as well? So it is on GitHub. It is open source. I'd love it if someone other than myself contributed to it um, because I think that helps build the, the community. Um, but yeah, as I, I mentioned earlier, I am adding the work item type mapping. Um, and I, in the back of my head, am mulling how to add true history, uh, which basically which basically means replaying each revision. Um, but I haven't fully flushed that out yet, so I haven't started on that. Wow, that would be that would be kind of cool though. So you'll have that next week. <laughs> mm, well, for sure. Okay. Now, what about like test run data, that kind of stuff? Does that stuff get pulled over? Uh, no. So, oh. one of the, yeah, I know. So, one of the quirks of how tests are is not all of their data is associated with the work item. Um, and so, I'm only migrating work item related data. So, the test artifact information is not migrated. Um, that is, if someone wants to contribute that, would be <laughs> awesome. Um, and I, I have reached out to our test team to see if they are interested, um, but we'll see. You can, you, know, you can add that as a please see. You know, I think that is an open issue on the item right on, on GitHub right now. You can always you know comment saying, hey, we really, really want this. Um, what other projects have you worked on and, and released? Uh, well, so like outside of work or inside of work? Uh, inside of work. Well, so there's the... Obviously, you mentioned VSTS um, and Exchange, and those are kind of the two main ones I have. Uh, there are I've written a few extensions as part of being within you know, Microsoft for uh, VSTS mm -hmm. um, because we want people to use extensions. So again, it's one of those things where the more that we contribute to our marketplace, the more people are aware of what can be done. Um, and so then they always end up on GitHub because I think that's the best place to put those simple little things like that. Yeah, now that Microsoft owns GitHub. I know, it works <laughs> out even better. So uh, I'm looking at one of your projects, the work item autosave. Oh, yeah, that was my, one of my first ones. Um, and, and I love this. I think I'm installing this w for my team today because we're now using uh, moving to VSTS for our work item management. And that's one of the things that we keep forgetting to do. We, we're, you know, we're editing the work item and all that good kind of stuff. And then, you know, our current solution auto saves. So we've gotten used to the auto save kind of thing. Oh. And this solves that problem. I love that. It does. Um, our product does have a few limitations around auto save in general. So mm -hmm. I have that one known issue, which in general probably is fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, go for it. I, I appreciate it. Cool. And we'll have the links in the show notes for everybody else who's interested in that. So tell me what the, your, one of these other projects, because you know we're cheating and we have a list of your projects. Um, <laughs> one of these other projects, um, which says it's the VSTS Webhooks Transformer for Office 365. Oh, so now you're digging into other stuff I've done. So before we announced that Teams was public, 
uh, our team was using Slack to do our communication. Um, but before Teams went public, we were told you should use Teams. Um, so we wanted to still maintain some some of our um, like things like our PR notifications. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had that nicely with Slack, but we didn't have that yet for VSTS. So that basically was a tool that I wrote that would take a notification from VSTS and turn it into a Teams notification, like a Teams message. So we still got the nice, rich PR notifications in Teams. Um, so that okay. was what that was. So do you get that? So do you, do what I still, so I'm just derailing the conversation for a second. <laughs> would, would I, st- to get those nice little PR notifications in Teams now, do I still need to use something like this or do I have oh, some other options? You can just directly link it up now. So from v- from Teams, you can say add the VSTS connector, and you can manage your, your notifications. Sweet. Yeah, okay. it's all pretty sweet now. But this was you know before the before those days. <laughs> back in back in the Wild West, when you had to roll your own. Uh huh. Awesome. And it was also fun because I hadn't done it yet, so it was a nice little learning experience for me. Awesome. It, Thank you. The teams... Speaking of rolling your own. Okay, go, Josh. <laughs> um, so I had a question about custom extensions. Now, you, you can obviously extend a lot of different parts of VSTS, the work I had informed being one of those. When you're when you're running this migration utility, does it take into account data that's saved um, through those extension points, or does it just pick up the stuff that's kind of out of the box from a uh, work item perspective? Yeah, no, that's – it is just the out of the box. That's – an interesting migration point because we today don't have a good story for that because you as an extension author can use our um, document service to store data in the, the with the service um, but as an extension you can also just be storing it somewhere else um, so it would be interesting how you could correlate the two um, if you were to think about migrating it um, I think really it'd be up to the extension authors to have to figure out the best way to do that. So one thing we like to ask everybody is, you know, what's a day in your life like? Yeah, my day is always an interesting one. Um, I get in early uh, because I avoid traffic and I can be at my peak efficiency early in the mornings because there's less distractions. Um, But so it's usually I come in, uh, I make my, two or three coffees, um, and then, you know, I sit through, I do pull requests, I, you know, go through my barrage of emails, um, and then ideally I actually code. Um, you know, get a couple, like, two, three hours of good quality coding time in. Um, but then being, you know, my seniority, I'm also a person that a lot of people come to and have discussions with. So a lot of my day is, you know, having people conversations and, you know, answering questions and giving ideas. Um, but yeah, that's mostly my day is I get to be productive early in the morning and then, you know, somewhat productive throughout the rest of the day. But then a lot of it is helping others, which I love. I mean, if I could be like a manager, but not actually have to do the managing part, I'd love to do that. So tabs or spaces? Spaces. Tabs are not your friend. Why so? All right. So, so what is your reasoning? Just curious. Uh, my reasoning is tabs are one of those things that a lot of code editors like Notepad does that do a very good job with. Um, so if I'm trying to just do a quick edit of something, and if I just hit you know tab or shift tab, um, I don't know what's actually going to happen in some editors. Um, versus if it's a space, I can just hit delete and it, you know it moves one character. Fair enough. Sean, what now for the really tough question? Uh, go, Josh. Sorry. Uh, I was going to ask the really tough question, Vim or Emacs? Oh, I so this is where I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I use VS Code for all my text editing these days. Good man. Yeah, VS Code is awesome. That is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> Neither, then, was the answer? Yeah. Um, so, Sean, what should we have asked you but we didn't? <sighs> Well, you didn't ask me anything about how exciting the uh, client OM dep- deprecation is and what that means for all your customers. Um, yeah, well, yeah. All, your, all your listeners, I guess. Like, the, I guess they're technically customers, too. But, yeah, all your listeners. Because um, for us, that's a big a big change. Um, and it makes long-term, I think, it frees us up for doing even better things. Um, but in the short term, it means a lot of people will have to start really consuming our REST APIs. And what's the time frame on that? So the blog post says January 1st, 2020, 
we will no longer support ClientOM in the service. Um, so you can't use, you know, any make any of the SOAP calls to access work items. So we'll have a big party that day. <laughs> Which means there'll be a big rush around October for anyone who's still using that to. I to certainly hope they don't wait that long, but yes, that is probably what's going to happen. No, it's it's going to be you know all the support tickets opening up that January. It's like my my mm -hmm. app doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. It was just Studio 2010, and I can't see the work items. I know. <laughs> But we're I, we're doing work on our side to make sure the latest VS will still work nicely. So we're, it's not like we're just abandoning v, Visual Studio. Um, we're just abandoning the client OM because it, it it was built in a in an era where yeah you know, the client had full knowledge of everything, and it's very hard to keep that rolling when you're a service and you have to you know make constant updates. And is that just the work item side or source code as well? Oh. That's an excellent question. So this is where me being an engineer and I don't read things. I didn't actually read that blog post, so I don't know. I assume at least all I care about is work items, so <laughs> I don't know. I was totally being uh, uh, selfish in that question because I've got an application that uses those, those ah, APIs. So I, I am now opening that blog post, and the title is of the wit and test client OM. So it would just be work item and test stuff. I don't so. care about that. So yeah. <laughs> cool. And we'll get the link to that, put that in the show notes as well for everybody listening. All right. So uh, come on, Sean. We have to talk some more. Let's. Uh, are you watching the um, World Cup? Uh, no. So people in my room are, but I. <laughs> You know, sports. I, I, I'm a Los Angeles person. I didn't actually care about many sports things go, growing up. So sports isn't something I care about. Um, I hope you all are watching Westworld, though, because that just wrapped up. I am very upset at the ending of that. I won't spoil No spoilers. No spoilers. But no spoilers, but you're upset? I am not happy with the – some of it was good. It, there were some good things on it, but it, it seemed too I, – blatantly setting the stage for, for season three. You know, so. Well, they do have to make a season three, so I guess they should set that stage. Yeah. But yes, it, it was very much a clear, here's what's happening next. Yeah. Yeah. So so let me ask you, Sean, because you're obviously a, a, a coder, you're obviously a GitHub contributor. What are your thoughts on the, on the GitHub acquisition? I, I think it's really good for us um, because as VSTS clearly we're slightly more complicated than GitHub. And we've been trying to figure out a really good way to make ourselves a little bit less complicated. Um, and I think by having GitHub now potentially as a starting point, we can think of what the grow up stories would be versus making ourselves less complicated. Um, and I think it just changes your thought process. Um, but then it also opens up other opportunities for what can we do with GitHub? Like, what kind of integrations can we do? Because GitHub is, you know, um, it's they have a marketplace, so we could put things on their marketplace um, to start integrating a little bit better with it. And I got one final question for you related to, to Git and GitHub, which is something that, that I try to ask a lot of people lately, is that you, have you ever dealt with people that don't understand that Git is actually different and separate from what <laughs> GitHub is? So I've heard people outside of like our org have that that difficulty um and i know like our vc team deals with that a lot um i usually deal with when we're dealing with people is oh you're visual studio like no no, no we're vsts we're, we're not visual studio so I, mean, I get where people get confused when you have your name as part of something else um but yeah no, I, I personally haven't met anyone that does that. That's something I've been trying to educate the community on. Cause there are a lot of people that thought that with Microsoft buying Git or acquiring GitHub, they were acquiring Git. And it's, you know, you have to explain Git's the version control system. GitHub is just is a, a place where you can use Git. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also we are the maintainer for Git for Windows. Um, exactly. So there, I, there, we have already been helping, you know, Git itself. Um, plus adding the, the virtual file system, which is really cool. Oh, that's amazing. That, we could do a whole other topic on just, just that. So, okay, I'll be quiet now. Uh, talking about the we, – we've got that in our uh, feedback section. Um, Ian sent us an email on that uh, virtual file system question. We'll get into that in a little bit. All right. Well, I think it's news time. Josh, do you have any news for us? 
If I can manage to unmute myself, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first item up for bid, uh, our friend Jeremy Epling has a post out there uh, from a couple of days ago about the new navigation for Visual Studio Team Services. And um, taking a look at that post will kind of show you uh, what the folks have been working on over the past few months to freshen up the, the interface itself and um, leverage the fluent design language to uh, make things a little bit cleaner and, and easier to navigate through. Uh, some of the project navigation stuff is changing a bit and um, just the, the overall iconography and, and look and feel of the system is, is getting a big facelift. So if you get a chance, check that, that link out. There's a lot of good information in there. What do you think about the new design? I like it a lot, actually. Um, it, 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 it's interesting because I, I don't dislike the existing design. But I can I can definitely see how kind of rearranging the visual context for things definitely helps kind of draw your attention to places that perhaps you should be going as opposed to having to stumble around and, and find you know where where to, where the deployment groups at and where the this that and the other thing are. I mean I think having this more streamlined is definitely a good good step. Yeah, I keep talking about it with my team, waiting for the the preview flag to appear in our ring. I'm looking forward to it. And as an engineer in VSTS, I suggest you turn it on because it also, in general, improves the performance of the site because more and more of our features can be um, not full page refreshes when you click through them. So it, it, it's, it has more benefits than just visual. Oh, sweet. I was not aware of that. That's awesome. That's really awesome. You guys get feedback on all the usage as well, so that kind of, that kind of helps you as, as things get out of preview and into general availability, right? Oh, absolutely. And so often you get feedback during preview that very much changes your design. Um, that is very helpful. Um, and then, of course, as soon as you turn it on for everybody, you get even more feedback because a lot of people will either not notice that they had the feature available or try it maybe when it was early and then not think to try it again. Um, so you get a whole new round of it. And you guys, when we turn off a preview, a, a little dialog box pops up and asking us why we're turning it off. You see those those comments? Yeah, we have that in our telemetry, so we can go and query it and kind of build a, a list of the common reasons. Good, because I turned on the new releases hub, and I don't like it. <laughs> oh, come on. I love the new releases. Huh? Well, I love Pretty. folders. Okay, that is... And favorites, God. though. You can favorite them now. Uh -huh. So my favorite is I can favorite a release. So like a... Because like a, on... For us, like as a service, we have a lot of releases. Um, but now I can just keep track of the few I, I am concerned with and can favorite them. Okay, well, that's good. But I miss the roll-up view. You know, in the old one, you click on all releases, you get all the recent releases and their status. I miss that. I think that's the one thing. So, yeah, that definitely is gone. And not coming back, right? I can't speak to that. That's, that's an unfair today. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I do love, I, I've been showing my team, and my team's now gotten uh, very into that. We, we go to the profile and look for preview features, like, every day. Every day, the team's going there and looking for new things. Oh, what, what are the new things? And, um, you know, they've, I, I don't know if I mentioned it last show or not, but we did it for the new uh, release pipeline or the release status page. Uh, no, the new build, the new build page. God, there's so many new things. Uh, and they were looking at that, and um, one of our developers says, you know, from when they do the build, they write from the build like to do, go and create a new release. And it used to be a button along the top that said create release, but in the new build one, it wasn't there. So immediately we put that as feedback and I was able to share with the team that yes, Microsoft knows about that. They're already working on it. That button is coming and lo and behold today it's there. So uh, my team was very happy with that. Made me look like a hero, even though you guys are already working on it. <laughs> but uh, just the, the number of the speed of these releases and the fact, the craziest thing is that you can have, you know, individually opt in without breaking all the other people. Like on the releases, I put a bunch of folders uh, and put my releases into those and it doesn't affect anybody else who's not interested in seeing that. I think that is awesome. Yeah, well, so I mean, that's definitely something that we have to be cognizant of because yes, we could break things, <laughs> um, but we obviously wanna make sure people can go, you know, back and forth. Um, 
and in the case of releases, side by side. How much, I know it adds some work. Is it a horrendous amount of work or is it just you suck it up? Whatever it is, is what it is. It, it depends on how big a change you're doing. Uh, like, for example, uh, I, I'm going to lead us into the new queries experience being forced <laughs> on. Um, that one was pretty much, from a visual standpoint, a f complete restart. Um, but in terms of the back end, we didn't have to change a whole lot. So that one, the side-by-side, -side, you know, being able to toggle it wasn't that much effort. The one main one that was work there was in the old query experience, you had those three things in the top left. You're assigned to me, you know, followed work items, um, and there was one more. And those weren't technically queries stored in your hierarchy. And so we had, in the new query experience, didn't have that concept anymore. Um, so we had to do some work around that. But other, otherwise, it was pretty straightforward. This is uh, another off-the-wall kind of question. Is there any way, am, am I missing it, to share a query? Uh, like actually export like a marketplace or a, a some way to uh, uh, share with other people, other teams, a query without doing like a screenshot? Like the results of the query or like the the um, edit, the the query itself? The query itself. Well, so we have the copy query URL. Um, which basically generates a temporary version of that query, which then you could give to anybody. Um, and then they can, when they run it, it basically is that query. Um, but then they can go and edit it and it's something else. So it's not the original of that query, it's a copy of it. Um, but you can also just give them your URL. Cool. Now, what I was looking for is I wonder if there's like a marketplace or a place to share with the community, the other. The oh, cool like common queries? Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Um, but I get to me, queries are one of those things that are often personal. Um, that's there are for like, like if you have, you can even think of it as like company wide, like, hey, we have all these queries that we'd like to sell. Like, we've really optimized this one and we think it'd be good for you. Um, but for queries, if you are thinking the marketplace, you should mm -hmm. check out the Wickle editor. That is one of my favorite extensions that is there. Um, and it was written by someone on my team. Uh, but it's basically kind of like having a SQL Server management studio for writing queries. <laughs> okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's so much better in terms of if you want a really complex query, you just you're just straight up writing the Wickle um, versus having to manage you know the the editor and building the filters and whatnot. Sure, put that in our notes to get that on the site too, and to look it up myself. Um, all right. Well, other news items. That we've got going um what other interesting stories well we've got one that that as somebody who's been doing devops for a little while now and following it even longer uh question about burnout can't can, can devops burn out and knox lively and dave ellis boats has a post just on that devops and burnout it's a real thing and he's got a nice little post about that and the details of it, when it can happen, <laughs> you know, the book that they're writing, they're, they're talking about a solution to, you know, DevOps is you know, spinning out of control and how to kind of fix that. So if you're thinking about that, if you're worried about that, well, I'll have this uh, post in our show notes. You can take a look at it. It's nice. It's, uh, it's actually a related podcast to it a phd behind the life science wow the science of lean software development and devops building high oh okay that's the standard book we've all read on devops you guys have read that book right the secret of lean software and devops building and scaling high performing technology organizations no, you haven't uh oh well i will have to put that link in the show notes too <coughs> and put it in my wish list so i can read it <coughs> um oh this one is good this one is interesting. Martin's mentioned this before, but do you guys know the scope of the keyboard shortcuts in Visual Studio? How many they are, there are, and in what areas? There are literally like a thousand keyboard shortcuts for everything. As a matter of fact, I had to laugh uh, last week, week before last. The save buttons on build definitions broke. Uh, you, know, you couldn't click on save. When you would clone a build definition and wanted to click on save. You couldn't, if you imported a new one, you couldn't click on save. So I'm like, oh my God, we're, we're dead in the water. We can't do anything. And uh, the 
MVP champs lists, uh, Greg, just use control less. Just use the keyboard shortcut and it'll work fine. And so I felt like an idiot. But for you guys, there's keyboard shortcuts are not hard to find. Just on the upper right, there's drop the menu down, the little ellipsing menu, and there's keyboard shortcuts right there. You can see them all, see them all for the different areas. And, and there may even be a way you can print them all out. So if you're not using the shortcuts, you got to take a look at this. Do you use the shortcuts, Sean? So this is kind of like the tab versus spaces. <laughs> I, I am not the best at using keyboard shortcuts. I will use like the common ones like Control S, uh -huh. um, but I have hands and I have a mouse and I, I'm not like, so like my workflow has to be the fastest possible. <laughs> um, so I generally just don't use keyboard shortcuts. Well, the fact that you still, you're, you're using VS code, you're much closer, you know, I, I'm not going to date myself, but you know, let me just say that, uh, yeah, DOS was my first operating system and you know, we went from a command line world to a clicky world. Now we're going back to this command line world and, and I like clicky. I'm sorry. It's just sometimes it's just so much easier than trying to remember all the different commands and verbs. And I, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> makes my head hurt. All right. Um, Josh, do you got any other news items you want to talk about? Do I ever? <laughs> I've always got stuff to talk about. Related to the um, TFS or VSTS. Of course. Oh, okay. I don't have a life. Out I don't have any life outside of VSTS <laughs> or TFS. Are <you> kidding me? <laughs> So I don't know if this has already been something that's been covered or not, but one of the uh, posts that kind of jumped out to me was DevOps and burnout. And <laughs> I already that, mentioned that one. <laughs> you just you? gave it away that you, yeah, yeah, sorry, man. Ah, got that one. But what do you think about kind, that post? It's kind, of, it's kind of ironic that I would have not paid attention to you bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm so burned out. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's for, I mean, it, you have burnout, I think, in every field, but uh, there's absolutely some truth to uh, burning out. I've, I've been on the receiving end of that, right? I mean, going through a lot of the transformational stuff that, that I went through in the past year and a half with my, my current organization. There are certainly a couple of points where it's just like I am fried because you're you're always on, you're always um, being asked for things, you're you're constantly thinking about ten different um, scenarios and and directions at all times, and I think that it can definitely uh, it can definitely get to you. So uh, preserving your your mental health is extremely important. Yeah, and it's funny when you're in that role, you know, everything has to be fixed fast, right? You know, yes. I can't do a build. I can't do a release. And it's not something, well, uh, we, uh, we'll fix that, you know, Monday or next week. Or it's like, no, you're the whole team. Their whole team is dead in the water because they can't get that release out or generate the build or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Plus, you also have the added fun of um, not only having to fix everything fast, but then having people ask, well, why don't you just do this? <laughs> One of my favorite questions of all time. Why don't you just, did you think about, no, I didn't think about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of, of uh, subtle pressures and not so subtle pressures, I think, that come into play there. And how do you guys, uh, both of you, feel about who should be creating the builds, creating the releases, editing them versus, you know, should it be a, DevOps infrastructure team, or should the development team themselves basically be responsible for their builds and releases? So I'll speak from our side. We don't have you know individual teams responsible for their, the builds and releases. Uh, we have a team that manages that because we're deploying to the service. And so if each individual team had to take care of their release, uh, I think it would get kind of messy <laughs> um but we do have while we're one you know we appear to be one big service we actually have microservices um and so each microservice does manage their own builds and releases um so i guess if you think of it as a bigger than a team but smaller than a product um we do do it at that level yeah that's been that's been my experience as well um for the project that i was working on it was a very large monolithic project, and that was more of a, a one team to rule them all, um, both from maintaining the, the regular CI builds and the release definitions. And 
you know, we, we have some of the separation of duties, separation of concerns type of thing from an audit perspective that we also have to show. So having that, that clear differentiation um, is something that we have to do. And um, I've, I've also talked to some developers who want absolutely nothing to do with maintaining or building any of that stuff. <laughs> they basically want to build it once and wherever it goes, it goes, and they don't care. I've also talked to other developers who want to be able to script out entire environments and do everything from infrastructure to, you know, config as code. So um, I think you get kind of a mixed bag when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I think it's the the auditing, the reporting requirements, you know, like ISO 27001 and separation uh -huh. of concerns. And that's what we're fighting. I, I've been fighting. I've been trying to let let our senior developers, at least, you know, the team leads, tweak the builds and, and go ahead and you know, change the variables or add a new environment. Then I got shut down. It's like, no, we have to keep them separate from anything that's like, you know, going out into production. So, it made me grumpy, but I understood it. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, because I mean, DevOps is supposed to be the whole, everybody gets to do parts, right? Isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. like kumbaya. But I think, you know, unfortunately, reality is. Not quite that. Not quite well, that. Well, you always need someone who actually knows what's going on for each piece. Um, and I think having, you know, a bunch of people who don't necessarily have the big picture in mind, making changes to something that impacts more than just them, um, it makes sense to have, you know, that still separate. That's true. No, no, I'll definitely give you that. Uh, um, and, you know, the whole Kumbaya DevOps thing does not eliminate communication. Agile and Scrum does not eliminate, you know, face-to-face -face communication and coordination of, of items and of work. Uh, and, you know, VSTS with the build gates, I, I love those. We've been definitely using those a lot now to try to coordinate our, Q, our QA was getting stomped on because anybody, the developers could release the QA whenever they wanted to. Well, you know, QA is in the middle of something and their stuff gets stomped on and they're all confused and it causes uh, angst and considerations. So we just put the deployment gates on that and made the QA people the pre-approvers. You know, dev does their release. They create the release. We're ready for QA to look at it. QA decides, okay, I'm ready to see it now. So I'm not sure how that ties in with the whole DevOps thing, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, it was uh, deployment gates, right? <laughs> really? Um, all right. So I think one last story or, or one last thing, and this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. There's a tweet um, that the Visual Studio Team Services team uh, sent out, and I'll put it in the show notes. But it is, uh, uh, you know, blinky lights. Take your, your base off your build results, got a little blinky light in the side of your, your uh, USB key. And, you know, based on the status, it turns green, orange, or, or whatever. And it just reminded me of, you know, um, the build bunny and its successors and just seeing that hardware software connection for VSTS. I thought that was kind of cool. That was from uh, Jerry Joseph who wrote that. Um, tip of the show. I, I've got a tip. And Josh, you can have one of these other tips that are here. You can have you could have two if you want, Josh or Sean. You can have That's one. And but uh, my tip of the the show is a SQL Server Management Studio tips and tricks from Greg Lowe. This is a free ebook that will. We all do it. If you're a line of business developer, you're probably in Management Studio or you know about it. You've seen it. A lot of people use it. I'm in it like all day. Um, it's like I call that my some my command line environment for uh, some of my applications because the only way you configure them and make them work is poking SQL statements in. Yeah, that's so. Uh, wait, I didn't say that out loud, did I? Uh, what? I can edit this. Delete, delete. Yeah, uh, but uh, just take care. Uh, just take care of it in post. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's going to be staying in there because it's unfortunately true. Sometimes you know when you have to make it MVP and just barely good enough to get the job done, and you need to you know solve another problem. Well, sometimes you have to do what you got to do. Um, but Greg Lowe had this free ebook, a bunch of tips uh, on a management studio, like is it uh, Shift F7 to bring up the object. Explorer details view, that thing is awesome. Literally, if you, if you want a all-up view of a lot of your 
um, characteristics of your databases. You click on database, step seven, you get the details pane and it'll show you collation and who created it and all sorts of, I think even the backup mode. So you can quickly see uh, what kind of backups are going on those databases. That's one of the tips in here and there's gonna be a bunch more. Josh, you got a tip? I, I do. Uh, <laughs> let's see, Jessica DeVita has a list of DevOps conferences for this year. It, it's all in one nice, neat little site called gotodevops.org. So the link for that will be in the show notes. Go check that out and uh, get your DevOps on. What about you, Sean? Do you have a uh, closing tip of the show? So I'm just going to follow up to your SQL Server Management Studio. I'm sure it's in that book, but my favorite one is doing Alt-F1 on the name of something. So like if you have a table name, you hit Alt-F1, it'll dump all the information about that table. Uh, you know, the columns, the indexes. What? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. That sounds awesome. Alt F1. Yes. I use it all the time. All right. Make sure I put that in the list too here. Uh, and last, this is Martin's tip of the show, even though he's not here, or could have been Mickey's. Well, make this Mickey's. Yeah, forget Martin. Because Martin sent this email to a bunch of people reminding everybody, um, there's a lot of great resources available to you. If you're like me and you're training other people in the building, um, in your company, you're like Josh, sharing a lot of information with a lot of different people all over the place. If you're just generally interested in it, uh, Microsoft has saved and made available for you to use and repurpose a bunch of events and talks related to DevOps. Uh, we'll have the links in the show notes, but it's docs.microsoft.com, Azure DevOps, events and talks, uh, from the DevOps at scale, Agile at Microsoft, Git anti-patterns, number of presentations, Azure DevOps with VSTS, Git patterns and practices, building the workflow. There's like a humongous list of resources that you can repurpose. A number of YouTube channels, a, a bunch of shareable content, like a VSTS TFS overview document that you can share, um, why you want to move to VSTS in the cloud, that's all there. And it's all fronted by um, AKA HTTPS, AKA MS slash DevOps. That's the short URL that leads you to a ton of Microsoft DevOps information. All right, feedback. Hey, people have been emailing us. Now, long time, long time listener, uh, Robin Martin, let us know, you know, Robin has been fighting the upgrades. He, he's been, I think, I think Robin is the one who's at, a government agency, or it could, it could be Rod that I'm thinking of, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Robin's at on TFS 2015. They w really wanted to move up, uh, but the XAML build going away in TFS uh, 2018 update, uh, 2015.0 and .1, the XAML build's really, really going away. That was just a showstopper. That just broke them. And they, that was a big blocker for their upgrade. Well, Rod, uh, Robin let me know that uh, with update two, which they re-enabled the XAML builds, you, they're not investing in it, but they're no longer gone and they're available for you to use. And he let me know that they were successfully able to upgrade from 2015 to all the way through to 2018 update two. Uh, it's not necessarily the easiest thing. And uh, I'll have a, a link to the um, Stack Overflow where he documented some of the issues on it, but it is possible and it is doable. So if you've been, you know, debating that upgrade because of your XAML builds, TFS 2018 update two is where you can go to. <laughs> the other, with other feedback, Ian, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce your name, Ian. He emailed us and let us know that we should be talking about the GVFS. Oh, well, no, actually it's not the GVFS because that's Go, uh, GNOME's URL. That new URL, GTVSF, is what the GVFS is going to be named. Did that confuse anybody? Because I'm confused as hell. I don't know what I was talking about there. Uh, and let me see, Rod, Rod, let us know. He, Rod was having a problem. Now this, Rod, I'm, I apologize. It's been a while since you sent this email. We actually answered it when you first uh, emailed us, uh, but then we lost that episode and it went away. Uh, he, he was looking at, how can you identify, it's got a bunch of source code on a machine and looking at just the code, how can you tell if it was a uh, starting a Git repo or TFVC repo? And really the answer is look for the hidden files. Look for the .git folder. Um, look for the 
was it TF folder? You, you can see those hidden files and hidden folders. Uh, those will be able to point you to what kind of repo, if there was, uh, that was stored in. And Martin, I'm not going to try to butcher your last name. We did you a shout out in the last show. We're going to give you a shout out in this one. Last show, we talked about uh, branching. And uh, he wanted to point out another one. I swear I read this before. <laughs> But he talks about the branching as well, and he points out to a uh, safe deployment guidelines have also been published, uh, configuring your release pipelines for safe deployment using Git. And um, Martin, I, I really want to thank you for listening to the show. And gentlemen, I, I think that's it. I think we're done. Josh, what do you think? I would say that this show has been a cornucopia of information and entertainment. <laughs> Well, Mr. Ferguson, I want to really, I really appreciate coming on the show again. I am happy to be on the show, and I didn't think that my second time on the show would really be my first. <laughs> uh, but I do hope there's another time in the future because I love being here. Absolutely, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to Radio TFS. If you want to send us an email, please do so. Uh, we'll give you a shout out during the show. We're at RadioTFS at Outlook.com. We're on Twitter as well, at RadioTFS. Funny that. We're on Facebook, slash RadioTFS. And voicemail. You send us voicemail, and we'll play it on the air. Hopefully, if I can get that part to work, because we've been fighting with our recording solutions. But anyway, send us a voicemail. 1-425-233-8379. Don't worry about remembering that. Just go to RadioTFS.com. The number is right there. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to Radio TFS. Radio TFS.